scholars believe the 31st was written prior to the 30th or the 30th. And they both go together, and they both talk about the same thing. And so that's kind of what we want to talk about this morning as we wind our way through the 30th chapter, um, heading toward the, the 31st, which covers, like I said, the same thing. Um, this is a, these two chapters represent the final woes. These are the final two woes. They both uh, are woes against Egypt. Well, they're really woes against the children, uh, the Hebrew, the Hebrew nation. They're woes against Judah um, to not uh, to do some things that they're that they're to not do some things that they are doing. Those things that they know to do and they don't do is, uh, I guess, Neil would put it this morning in his sermon. Uh, chapter thirty: Woe to the rebellious children. We're talking about the Hebrew nation here. Says the Lord, who take counsel of me, or who take counsel. But not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who walk to go down to Egypt, and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. For his princes were of Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanes. They were all ashamed of a people who could not benefit them. Or, or, or be help or benefit, but a shame and also a reproach. The burden against the beasts of the south, through a land of trouble and anguish, for which came the lioness and the lion, the viper and the, flying, the fiery flying serpent, they will carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people who shall not profit. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore, I have called her Rahab him Shebeth. All right. So uh, verses one through seven, we're talking about the people going down to Egypt. So in a nutshell, what we're talking about is is the same thing we've been talking about week after week after week. What are these people doing? What are they? Who are they turning to? Who are they turning to? Anybody other than God. Anybody other than God, because God says up here in the first, he says, you know, uh, who take counsel. But not of me, and who devise plans, but not by my spirit. And so their, you know, their 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 sin is really threefold. Can you see the three sins that are incorporated in verses one through seven? There's three sins that are incorporated in there. First thing they've done is what we just talked about. They've done what? They've deserted God. They've deserted God to go down to Egypt. And they're going to listen to Pharaoh, and they're going to listen to everyone, but they're not going to listen to God. And he expounds on this through this chapter and then into the 31st chapter, and he has some, he's quite, God is quite, he's quite sarcastic to these people. You'll see that in the 31st chapter. But first of all, they've deserted God. They've gone the way of the Egyptians. Uh, they've made alliances. Uh, they've not asked for God's help or, or, or anything that he would consent to help them with. They've, they've not asked uh, they've not asked for any of his help. They've just deserted him. And the second thing is they trusted in someone other. They, there's distrust of God. They don't trust him. And this distrust is in the shadow of Egypt, verse 2. They've walked uh, down to Egypt, and they trust in the shadow of Egypt. Uh, they don't trust the shadow of God's wing. They trust the, uh, they trust the Egyptians. They trust someone other than God. And so they befriended the Egyptians and hoped that the Egyptians will deliver them. And this is obviously not the kind of trust that you want to put in, in someone you put in, in man. And so as we remember, as we go through Isaiah, a lot of these things will apply at the individual level. 
They will apply at the family level. They will apply at the societal level. And they will apply at the cultural level. They will apply at every aspect of human life. And so at the individual level, you know, we can think about individuals we know that, that have a distrust of God. We, we all know of individuals who have deserted God. And so at the familial level, again, if we have a family member, we may have a family member. We, we trust in God, and we trust that God will deliver us. We labor in the shadow of his wing, but not all of our family members do. And so we, you know, we wrestle with these individuals in our families who are, if you want to use the term, where they're going down to Egypt. And so what's the final thing? It comes in verse 6 of this. The burden against the beast of the south. What, what are we talking about there? What do they put there? What are they putting their trust in? What's their sin? What's their sin? They have a spirit of materialism. That's their third sin. So they've deserted God. They don't trust God. And they've got a spirit of materialism. And so they, they've appealed to this fleshly power in Egypt. And a, a fleshly power that they're going to find out just doesn't have anything good to do for them. It won't help them at all. And this sin of materialism is what most authors or most scholars call the sin of mankind. I mean, that's, we're all, you know, how many of us have garages full of stuff that we just, we bought it and we just don't use it. We have homes full of stuff that we, we have and we just don't, we just don't use it. We're a very materialistic society. That's the sin of, that's the sin of mankind. And so this desertion of God, this departure from his side, this sin of materialism, this distrust that arises is not only for this period in time, but this is also something that, that man, Kind, humankind today labors with. Um, so what is their uh, what is their punishment? Well, it's it's going to be fruitless because they they'll carry their riches on the backs uh, of young donkeys, their treasures on the hunt, but but the people they won't profit. It's going to be fruitless expenditure. Verses four through six talks about uh, you know what they'll do. Uh, there's no benefit. Uh, there's there's no benefit to them. There there was a shame and there's a reproach, but there's no bitter, there's no benefit. Um, there's bitter disappointment. Verse seven. Um, there's a bitter disappointment that they'll help in vain and to no purpose. And uh, the strength of Pharaoh shall be their shame, verses 3 and verses 5. Um, so, you know, they're going to attempt to make this alliance with Egypt, uh, hopefully to help them against the Assyrians, to play one off against the other in the, in the time of uh, especially Shalomancer. And so there's, they're going to expend time. They're going to expend money. They're going to expend strength. They're going to spend reputation. They're going to use all of these things, and it's not going to be to any avail because they missed the fundamental goal of relying on God. Okay. So as we go down through uh, verses eight through fourteen, now now Isaiah begins to talk about these rebel this rebellious people. Now go and write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for time to come forever and ever. You know, that's the nice thing. I spoke about that. I talked about that a couple weeks ago or last week when I talked about the fact that these people and their sin are still before us today. We can still, after thousands and thousands of years, we can still see their sin. And how would you feel if you were one of these people and you're, you know, 2000 later, 2000 years later or more, people are still reading about your sin. People are still reading about how you treated God. You know, if our if our history is written and people, if the Lord doesn't come back for another three thousand years, we'll, are, what are people going to read about Lehman Avenue? What are people going to read about the individuals at Lehman Avenue? And so, you know, their sin is ever before them. This is a rebellious people. Verse nine: lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, "Do not see," 
And to the prophets, don't prophesy us right things. Speak to us in smooth things. Tell us what? Tell us what we want to hear. And they've done that from the beginning. They've done that in the days of Joshua and everything when they said, give us a king so we can be what? We can be like everybody else. See, God doesn't want us to be like everybody else. God, is, God wants us to be a unique people, a people devoted to his service, a, God, a people devoted to him. So if you're looking to be like someone in the outside world, you're going down to Egypt. If your goal is to be like someone, oh, I really, I really, really like the way he, I really like the way he acts, I like the way he talks, or, or she's really a good role model. It, are they? Or are you just going down to Egypt? And so he says in verse 11, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. They don't want anything to do with God. Just get out of the way. Don't bother us. Don't bother us with all this religion. And a lot of times when you're talking to people outside of these doors, if you're talking to people out in the, in, in the community on a daily basis, if you're talking to people, that may be what they say to you. Oh, man, I don't have time for that. Get out of my way. Get out of my way. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We, we know we're doing wrong. You, you know you're doing something wrong, but you're so, you don't, you don't even want to admit to, that you're doing it wrong. That you're not doing it, that you're not doing it God's way. So, therefore, based on all of this from above, the first, the first 11 verses, therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word, and you trust in oppression and perversity, and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be on you, like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in the high wall whose breaking suddenly comes in an instant. And so, you know, you look at, you look at what this is, and you're adding sin to sin, and they're adding all of this on, themselves and it's going and it's building and it's building and it's building and they're just building sin on sin on sin and what's happening to the wall the walls of their lives are just bulging out like a like a dam that's ready to burst and that's what he's talking about he's talking about you know your iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall a bulge in a high wall and whose breaking comes suddenly and in an instant and he shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel which is broken in pieces he will not spare so shall there not be found among anything among its fragments, a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water from the cistern. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. Okay? So what's he talking about here? He's talking about in verse 15, what's he saying? Despite all of this, what do you need to do? You need to come back home. You need to repent. That's what he's talking about. The first, what is the first duty? What is the first duty of any Christian who's committed sin or who has erred? What is their first duty? Repent and return to God. That's the first duty. We repent by praying. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer is the mechanism that we use to return to God. We ask for, for that forgiveness. And so for the, the first duty of the erring one, just like for Judah, just like for all of the individuals in Judah and Israel, just like for all the individuals in the world today, the first duty of the erring one, when they realize that they have sinned, and the first duty of a nation, if you will, and the first duty of a culture, of a people, is to realize that they've drifted away from God and to repent. And to come back. And these are very, very powerful things that Isaiah says in verse 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and in rest you shall be saved. Now, in returning, we understand, we understand about the returning part. 
But what's the rest? He talks about this later on in a little bit further in verse 15. And in rest you shall be saved. But look at the last part of this. This is interesting. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. So the first duty is to return. And then by gaining strength, we gain strength in what? What does he say? What do we gain strength in? In quietness. The quietness we get our strength. How many people do you... First thing that I thought of when I read this or I was studying this was someone who's very loud and boisterous. What do you tend to do to that person when you hear them? Oh, they're hollering and they're yelling. You know, watch one of these, watch one of these evangelists uh, on television if you do that sort of stuff. And you see these people. What are they doing all the time? Oh, they're always hollering. They're always doing big arm gesticulations and they're running up and down the aisle and doing all. They're making a lot of noise. But it's a quiet there's going to be a verse in, I think, chapter 31 that says, there's that, you remember that small, still voice that the prophet heard? He saw lightning, and he saw thunder, and he saw an earthquake. But then what did he see at the very end? What did he hear at the very end? A still, small voice. Quietness. Quietness. And so, you know, it's a common fallacy that noise equals strength. And there could be nothing more further from the truth. It's quiet. It's, you know, what do they say about quiet people? Watch them. Watch the quiet ones. Watch the quiet ones. Because a person who's loud and who's boisterous and who calls attention to themselves, you're going to marginalize that person. Well, they, you know, this is a blowhard over here. You should, I'm not going to listen to anything. I got, you got to watch the quiet ones. You got to watch the quiet ones. And they're usually the strong ones. What of the two, what of the two, does the most damage, thunder or lightning? The lightning does more damage. The thunder's loud. The thunder's loud. The thunder will shake your house. But the lightning will burn it down. It's the quiet. Even in nature. Even in nature, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quiet. Gunpowder? I've got a perforated eardrum because I didn't have a, I didn't have my safety things on and when I put the rifle up to my shoulder and I put it in the and I, and I fired the gun, I, I, it pushed my hearing up. And let me tell you gunpowder will deafen. Gunpowder will deafen. But it's the projectile that doesn't make any noise that does the damage. It's the quiet things. It's the quiet things. There are forces all around us in nature. Have you ever seen gravity? Have you ever seen electricity? They're silent. You can't see them, but I guarantee you, you jump off the top of a 20-story building, gravitation, gra- gravity will not be your friend. It wasn't a friend to those people in Florida last week. So gravity, electricity, things we've known for ages to exist. It's the soft rain. It's the quiet rain that causes the plants to grow. It causes those uh, the quiet spirit of a mother with her child. Those are the things that God talks about. In quietness shall be your strength. Okay? In confidence shall be your strength. So, again, in confidence, you know, in quietness and confidence, those are your strengths. We simply have to do what is right. And Isaiah is going to tell us then, after that, we wait on God. We wait on God. We do what we can do. 
We affect what we can affect in our lives and the lives of others. And then we wait on God. Okay? We wait on God with that powerful. Sometimes, sometimes that simple waiting for God, the best thing to be is just be still. What does he say? Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be quiet. Be confident. Okay? And you said, verse 16. Well, the end of that is, but you would not. He's given them the, he's given the formula for success. He's given them the formula to come back, to return, and in strength and quietness, do all of this. And he said, but you won't. You won't do it. You talk to 100 people, 90 of them, 99% of them, they won't do it. But there's that one out there. There's that one out there that you can touch, that you can affect. And you say, no, for we shall flee on our horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses, and therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left as a pole on top of a mountain, as a banner on a hill. And so what he's talking about here is the fact that you're going to try to get away. You're going to try to put these things behind you to try and say, this is not really, this is, this is not, you know, and, and it's not going to help you. You're just going to be like a banner on top of a hill just waving in the breeze because there's not going to be any help for you. So verse 18 starts a a section where Isaiah talks about waiting on God. And, you know, the title in my, in my, in my uh, version here that I'm reading from is the Lord will be gracious. Therefore, the Lord will wait. Are we not thankful every day that the Lord waits? And as we read a few chapters back, he is, he is bringing this destruction on these people. He is bringing this, but his arm is still Stretched out. He says that five times. That although I'm going to bring this destruction on you because you've wandered so far away from me, my arm is still outstretched. All you have to do is take it and come back to me to return to me. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord God is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So we look at this, we look at this waiting for God. We look at waiting for God. What, what does waiting require? What does waiting require? Waiting requires courage because you're not going to get everything instantaneously. Everything's not going to come to you. But what does waiting also require? Oh, there it is. It requires patience. And who among us is blessed with great patience? I know I'm not. I am not blessed with great patience. I do not have, I do not suffer fools lightly. And that is my, that is, that is the biggest sin that devil throws in my path on a daily basis. I have no patience. And not many people do these days. You know, the, ch- the children of the 50s, the 60s, the 70s were called the children of what? Do you remember what the term used to be? Instant, instant gratification. You turn that television on, that thing better light up. When you turn that, when you put that toast in the toaster, that toaster better toast it right. So I ain't got time to fool with this. I got things to do. We're children of instant gratification. We become, we become today. What happens when you're, my wife is a good example of this. We have, she has an iPad at home. And when that iPad doesn't do what she wants it to do, she calls it an etch a sketch. Because it just, it just, she shakes it. It won't do what she wants it to do. There's no patience. I'm no better. It's true. 
It's true. Oh, I'm so imperfect. So patience. Patience on the patience on the part of the inquirer. Patience on the person who's asking for this blessing. God is waiting. Is he going to do anything without you asking? Is he going to do anything without you asking? No, the Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer. Effectual, targeted, fervent, more than just once and then go your way and do something else. The effectual, fervent prayer. So it's two parts to that. So the inquirer who is inquiring about this and that God is waiting for, there must be patience on the part of the inquirer. And there's, there's, there must be patience on the part of the worker. There must be patience on the part of, of the person who's working. You know, not everything you, you touch will turn to gold. I'm sorry to say that. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna be a, you might, you might get 10%, you might get 20% with all your efforts, but you shouldn't give up because God is waiting if you're a patient worker. Go ahead. And sometimes what you need, you've asked for, but you've not asked for. I think Neil talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We don't ask, we don't ask big enough. You know, if you aim, if you aim, if you, if the target that you aim at is you aim low, you're going to hit it low every time. But if you put, you put a target up there and you aim for that, if you come in a little lower than that, you've done way better than just aiming, aiming low. So maybe it's, maybe it's we don't ask for the right thing. Maybe it's we don't ask in faith. Maybe it's we don't ask big enough. Maybe you don't get what you want from God because you don't pray big enough. And again, may not be what you want. You know, I don't know of times, you know, sometimes God, God has given me what I want, and I'm like, oh, this is not what I wanted. This is not what turned out to be not what I wanted. But we need to pray to ask God to give us what we need and to work within the strength that we have. So there's patience, there's patience of, there's the patience that comes to the inquirer, there's patience that comes to the worker, and there's patience that comes through suffering. There's patience that comes to the sufferer, the one who waits in the morning. For the people that shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, what will he do? He'll ignore you. No. Not what Isaiah says. It says when he hears it, when he hears the sound of your cry, he will answer. Doesn't say he might answer. Doesn't say he won't answer. It says he will. And God who cannot lie will answer your cry. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the waters of affliction. Anybody here? Anybody here? Bread of affliction, waters of adversity? Anybody? Yes? All of us? All of us? And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the waters of affliction, just turn your back on him because he's not giving you what you want. And I'm not going to play this game anymore with him, so I'm just going to go my own way and do what I want to do and depend on somebody else. Oh, that's not what it says. It says, and though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes will see the teacher. So what he's talking about here is you're going to go through adversity. You're human. You're going to go through adversity, and you're going to go through affliction. And depending on how you handle that, whether you turn to God or you turn away from God, is how the response is going to be. Your ears 
This is the great, this is the great verse. This is the one I was talking about. I thought it was in 31, but it's here, verse 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So get that picture in your mind. You're walking in the light. You're doing what you're supposed to do. But there comes an opportunity to turn to the left or turn to the right. And there's a voice, that still small voice that's whispering in your ear. This is the way. Walk in it. That's the patience of God. That's God waiting. That's God waiting for you to do what you're supposed to do. Turning neither to the left or to the right. And so when you walk in that way, look at verse 22. You'll also defile the coverings of your images of silver. You're going to get rid of all these. You're going to, you're going to destroy everything that's, that's distracted you. Everything that's, that's put your life on an uneven, on an uneven keel. The ornament of your molded images of gold. You'll throw them away as an unclean thing and you will say to them, get away. Because that small voice is whispering in your ear, this is the way. Don't turn to the left and don't turn to the right and don't be, don't be mesmerized by all these things, by all this stuff, this is the way. Walk in it. Sure. Sure. And so God is waiting. Then he will give you, verse 23, here are the blessings to come. You know, time after time in the Old Testament, God has told his people, if you do this, I'm going to do this. If you do this, guess what? You will have you will have harvest. You will have you will never want for anything. You'll be richest. You'll be you'll have all of this. You'll have all these things given to you if you'll just do this. If you just follow me, just follow. Just have me as your have me as your God. Now he also puts the negative in there, which is always nice because he says, well, if you don't do these things, here's what I'm going to do to you. And God is the God of His word. And so here's what he says. Then he will give you the rain for your seed, which you will sow in the ground, and the bread of the increase of the earth. It will be fat and plentiful. In that day your cattle will feed in large pastures. Likewise, the oxen, the young donkeys that work the ground, will eat cured fodder, which has been winnowed with the shovel and the fan. There will be, there will be on every high mountain and on every high river, or high, every high hill, rivers and streams of water. In the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall. So what is he saying here? He's saying all these things can be yours if you would just follow me. Because there will be a great slaughter. And these great towers that men have built, these great towers will fall. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days. In the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. Notice that he's binding up a single bruise. It's not the bruises of his people, it's the bruise. And the bruise is there leaving him and going after, going after someone else. So 19 through chapter, or verses 19 through 26, we, we really talk about this prosperity that, that will come to the people if they turn, if they turn back to him. It's the prosperity that we also, that we also will enjoy, we also enjoy as Christians. So the people of God will know times of trouble. That's what he says. We'll know times of trouble. We'll know times of adversity. 
Nobody, nobody gets out of this, nobody gets out of this without having to go through some trial or some adversity in their life. Some may feel more than others. But God has never promised us that the life that we live here, because we live in a fallen world, this life is not going to be easy. And so those who are the people of God will know a time of trouble. God has never been deaf. God has never been deaf to the cries of his people. Every single time that I read about in the Bible, when the people have sinned and drifted away from God, they've called on the name of God and God has answered. He is now and has always been waiting. He's always waiting. He's waiting for that effectual appeal. He's waiting for that repentant cry. He's waiting for the sinner to say, I'm sorry, please make me a benefactor of your grace. Okay? When he hears it, the Bible says he'll answer. But not just prosperity in this modern time, not prosperity for Christians only, but prosperity in eternity to come. And that's the real, that's the real, that's the real abounding joy that comes from being a Christian is knowing that as, as much adversity and as many bad things come to a person's life throughout the time that they're living, if they're living for Christ, if they're living for God, if they're living a Christian life, there is boundless joy to come in eternity. Okay? So, down verse 27 through the, I think the end of the chapter, through verse 33. Yeah, 27 through 33. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger. So we're now talking about judgment. But we'll also have interspersed with that judgment with joy. So... Verse 27, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger, and his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream, which reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of futility. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. You shall have a song as in the night when a holy festival is kept, and gladness of heart as when one goes with the flute, to come to the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. The Lord will cause his gracious voice to be heard and show the descent of his arm with the indignation of his anger and the flame of a devouring fire with scattering, tempest, and hailstone. For through the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be beaten down and he strikes with the rod. And in every place where the staff of punishment passes, which the Lord lays on him, it will be with tambourine and harp and the battles of brandishing he will fight with it. For Tophet was established of old, yes, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large. Its pyre, its pyre is fire with much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, kindles it. And so this, this language is very forceful from Isaiah. It's very energetic. It has dark shadow uh, implications. It has bright sunshine. They, they intermingle in this. There are, there are destruct, there's destruction coming, and there's also, there are also good things. So, you know, what we see from, what we see from this, in, in my notes at least, that, that God comes in, in judgment. He has come in judgment before against people who have been ignorant of his will, who have been uh, not willing to bow the knee to him. Uh, sometimes that's to societies. Sometimes it's to cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sometimes it's to individuals. So again, at the individual level, at the family level, at the societal level, at the national level. Um, this, however, you see, is accompanied with 
the joy of man. So he says that his glorious voice will be heard. He'll show you will show that he will show the descent of his arm. You will know that's what that you will know that's what he's doing. Uh, in verse twenty, verse twenty nine, you'll also sing a song in the night when the holy festival is kept and gladness of heart as when one goes about with a flute. So there's this there's this joy that they'll have. This song as in the night. This gladness of heart. Verse twenty nine, in which every uh, grounded staff and, and the harps and the tambrels will play. Um, so. It's very clear from this that there is uh, judgment coming on both of the world and there's also righteousness coming to those who are, uh, who are, who are abiding by God's, who are abiding by God's will. Okay. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Patience. Yeah. Sure. Well, what's a very, there's a very common, there's a very common uh, metaphor that's used in the Bible. What is that? What, he, he tries us like what? Like a metal, silver or gold, okay? So when you, when you refine something that's a precious metal, and we're precious to God, so he refines us like a precious metal. And there's a certain part of that metal that's full of impurity. It's burnt off. It's called the dross. And the dross and the impurities are melted off. They're taken away. And so what you have left is what? It's pure. It's been refined in the fire. In the, and for humans, for us, you can all make the comparatives to this. We're all refined by the things that we go through in life, through the adversities that we handle in life. Right. Well, and he's daily, he's daily putting us, you know, there's, there's, not a day, there's not a day probably that most of us don't go through and have something, you know, that's going to test us, that's going to try us, that's going to tempt us. Now, maybe if you just stay home and you stay locked in your closet all day long, that's not a very that's not a very effective Christian for getting the news out about Christ and the gospel. But, yeah, I guess if you stayed home, your biggest enemy would be yourself because you're not going to answer the phone. You're not going to watch television. You're not going to listen to nothing except you're just going to stay in your closet in fear. Well, that's not that's not being tried. In other words, to be tried to have this dross removed from you, you've got to be you've got to be out in the world. And if you're out in the world, you're going to be tried. You're going to be tempted. You know, just try driving anywhere in traffic on Saturday, you know, when everybody comes in from all the counties around town. Oh, Lord, I was out in it yesterday. It was just, you know, there wasn't a Warren County car on either side of me. It was Barron County, Logan County, Edmondson County, and all these people don't know how to drive. They come in from the, they come in from the sticks, and, and they, just, they just don't, they don't know nothing. No, I'm just teasing. But there are, there are, there are a lot of people come into town, and, and, you know, these are the same kind of things, the temptations that come into, uh, the temptations that come into life. So, um, so verse 30, or chapter 31 carries over. Um, we're right at the bottom of the hour, so we can look again uh, to verse 1 where it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Here again, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about doing something. Uh, that, you know, these people are doing something that's so important. Isaiah is devoting two of the, the last two woes to these people to talk about you know, what, they're, what they're doing. They're trusting in other people. They're not trusting in God. They're trusting in numbers. So you'll see as he goes down, uh, he talks about chariots uh, because their chariots are many. And so we know if we looked in, if we look in uh, Exodus, uh, we can see that uh, Pharaoh had like 600 chariots. And if we look at a couple of other places in the Old Testament, I think in First Chronicles, it talks about uh, uh, one of the kings, I think it was Shishak of Egypt. He had 1,200 chariots. And so, you know, we're talking about these people who have lots of chariots, and you're putting your faith in these numbers. You're putting your faith in their armies. You're putting their faith in, in their, protective, <clears throat> their protective council. And this is all just apparent human strength, 
because there is no strength except from God. And so these people are putting their, uh, you know, it says in horsemen because they are very strong. Well, you know, they're not stronger than God. So, you know, as, as he begins to go down through here and talk about this, uh, in verse 2 he says, you know, he'll bring disaster. He'll bring disaster. If you depend on man, if you depend on this strength in numbers, God's going God's to bring it. He's going to bring it all down like a tower that falls. And so he spends, the, he spends the rest of the time. So next week, you know, verses 1 through 5, he talks about the arm of flesh. And this is the arm of flesh that they're depending on. They're depending on this arm of flesh. And the arm of flesh will fail you every single time if it's not the, if it's not the arm of God. And so, you know, then, uh, you know, he talks about all the, all the things that we'll cover next week. So I, I don't want to give all that away, but next week we'll, we'll start in 31 and, uh, we'll try to get, uh, we'll try to get through 31 where again, he's talking about these alliances with Egypt and depending on, uh, someone other than God. Okay. Good Lord willing, we'll be here next week. Thank you.